All right, guys, this is the Morbid Horror Podcast, Episode 7, and I am here with someone by the name of Slasher Victim 666 of the Real R-E-E-L, uh, Films, and I'm going to ask him a couple questions uh, regarding those films. If you want to introduce yourself. Hello, my friend, Brandon. My name is Slasher Victim 666, and I am the greatest director ever. Handkeeper of the Golden House. Welcome. Awesome, and uh, what got you into horror movies? Oh, my friend. Um, to tell you the truth, when I first made my debut masterpiece, Real, I called it a documentary for many years. And it was... Only after people started telling me it was a horror movie and I would make more money if I called it that, that I changed it to being called a horror movie. Because to become the king of Hollywood, my friends, the most important thing is to make lots of money. And so... That is why I changed it to that. But to me, the movie is still a documentary. It's about my life and my family's life. I uh, I just um, got back from visiting my uncle, Dr. Dave, who's feeling a little ill with uh, uh, the corona. Um, well, he doesn't have it. He's been sick for a while, but he's worried he's going to get it or he has it he's a he's a hypochondriac my friend so i uh i yeah. got back from there and uh yeah so that's what uh my debut that's what my debut masterpiece was about me and my family and my sensational sequel real too it was about more of me and my family so you can call it a horror movie. I'm not offended anymore, but I did fight for that for many years. Okay, okay. And <clears throat> sorry to hear that. It's crazy times. I hope uh, your uncle pulls through and everything ends up okay. Oh, yes, he's fine. It's uh, the bigger problem is myself. I mean, spoiler alert, after my sensational sequel, I've been recovering quite a bit and uh but i'm starting to feel better now if you've seen uh real two uh you will understand um but uh i had to basically um afterwards do a little homemade surgery to feel better all all is good down there uh, yes it's it's good i'm feeling better every day um, I can go to the bathroom normally now, and uh, yeah, I'm ready to get back to Toronto. And uh, but I think I think I'm almost ready to start moving towards Hollywood, and you know maybe I'll go to New York first and uh, work my way down from there because there's so many stars in America, my friend. There's stars everywhere. So I think I'll be much busier in uh, in America than I have been in Canada. Okay, awesome. And uh, what inspired you to shoot your films found footage style? 
in a POV. Where do I shoot from? What inspired you to uh, shoot from style and shoot in the style of POV um, as opposed to just any traditional other oh, way? Oh, I see. Yes. Um, well, my family has been making movies for um, almost 100 years at this point. Um, my great-great-grandma came from Massachusetts, and she comes up to Bradbury and started making movies. And our family's just continued forever since. Um, it was, I'm the first one who said we should try to get to Hollywood. And of course, they all laughed at me and called me stupid and locked me in the red room. But who's laughing now, my friends? Who's laughing now? And uh, so our, our favorite family video was Boy Burning from 1958. We would always play that at uh, family gatherings, and it was a great time to watch. But uh, after my debut masterpiece, now they they are starting to understand um, me trying to get to Hollywood. But, I mean, on my sensational sequel, as you saw, uh, they kind of became obsessed with uh, the NXIVM cult and Epstein Island, and they thought they could get there and, you know, start taking over the world from there. But I tried to tell them that's not what Hollywood means. It doesn't mean we're going to Epstein Island. It doesn't mean we're starting a cult like NXIVM, so you all can just relax. You know, they would they would buy little drones and fly them across the ocean, and stare at Epstein Island at all the things going on. And I would go, stop staring at that stuff. We're trying to make it to Hollywood. The king of Hollywood doesn't have to be the king of a sex cult. And so that's, you know, that's why I had to do what I had to do in real too. All right. And uh, how old were you when you started uh, making films? Really? Mm-hmm. We basically were given video cameras at birth, and what would ever happen would happen. I can remember my uh, brother James, rest in peace, um, they duct taped a camera right to his chest. But at that time, he this was in the 80s, you know, he's, he's a few years older than me. And, uh, you know, he would just run around the woods with his giant VHS camcorder on his chest, uh, I have uh, little memories of uh, him doing that once he came into the 90s, but by the time I was born, he had pretty much stopped that. With me, they they tried to do the same thing, but again, I always was trying to make different movies and trying to show them how much we could go, and they go, where's all the, where's all the stars? They'd go, look at your brother. Look, he's taken three people down to the ditch, and buried them, and he's got great footage of them crying for help as their hands stick above the ground. And he goes, look at you. You've just been filming trees in nature and putting voiceovers of poetry over it. What are you doing? So I got a camera early, but then they would never let me play with the camera once they saw what I was doing. But things have changed now, and... uh, I get to play with the many cameras all the time in the world. Awesome. And uh, how did uh, Real start? 
how did that idea begin? Well, I would say it, the beginning of it uh, was always in my head. I always knew. I always knew we could be stars and we could do great things and be the kings of Hollywood. So I basically had the idea in my mind for many, many years, but it took me many years to put together and to basically get out of the red room. You know, when they locked me in the red room, it wasn't for a day or a week, my friend. Sometimes it would go for months. So I tried to make my own editing suite in there with some rocks and sticks. And I thought maybe I could, uh, you know, get my footage onto the rocks and sticks. And I threw some sand on it. Because I saw that in a movie once, and I thought that it was possible to make magic out of stones and bricks. And But after months, I realized I couldn't do that. So at night, I would try to sneak out of the red room. And uh, some nights I would make it, some I wouldn't. Some nights Bransby would smash me with a shovel or something like that. But I would make it out sometimes, and I would edit away slowly on my debut masterpiece. But if I never left Bradbury and go to Toronto, um, that was after my brother died, you know. He accidentally fell in love with my mother, and, you know, my dad had to, had to you know, rest in peace him. Um, so that was, once all that was going on, I had a really good opportunity to leave Bradbury and start a new life in Toronto. And, you know, they could have chased me, but they really never cared about me that much, my friend. And so I was, that's when I really started to make progress. And once I found Todd Smith and uh, found out he grew up in the same town I did, you know, we didn't know each other or anything, but he grew up with me and I thought that would be a perfect opportunity to uh, mirror my life. You know, all the great directors have leading actors who are uh, a representation of who they are. And I thought Todd Smith was the perfect representation of who I was. Um, the only difference is uh, he was uh, not very good and I'm the greatest director ever, but um, he was a star now, so I made all his dreams come true. Um, he got a dance in the Golden House with my family, and uh, we saw Montreal hit the floor, and uh, the color was just beautiful, my friend. Awesome. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about the origins of the McCuddle family? Well, like I said, my, my great-grandma, great-great-grandma came from Massachusetts. Um, I don't, we don't know much about her. We know she uh, came up and basically she worked at a little factory and the boss would always, you know, sexually assault her and uh, treat her horrible. So um, she stole the boss's son. I think was only eight or nine. You know, this would have been my grandpa, great-great-grandpa, great-grandpa. I have to draw a better family tree and understand this more. But uh, basically took him, and uh, that's where we started from. She, you know, raped a boy for many years, and then came all my uh, all my uncles and all the, the dads, and that's where our family grew. But you ask a good question, my friend, where... I really wonder what happened in Massachusetts before we came 
to Bradbury in Canada? What was our family doing? And I think uh, once I make travel to America, I'm going to go there and try to look up history books. And eventually I'm going to draw a giant family tree that shows where, uh, where we all are. Because we start, you know, we came from Massachusetts up to Bradbury, but then once all the kids started coming and all their kids, now we're everywhere, my friend. Now we're in Toronto and my cousin Dominic is here, you know, and some of us went back to America and some of us are in Bradbury and some of them could be in the town that you live in right now. You just don't know. We're, we're everywhere, but. By the time I make rule three or four or five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten, I will uh, I will have a uh, a giant family tree and I want I want to understand this more. You know, it, they didn't tell me much when I was growing up. Basically, it was just you know black. You know, but we will find this out. Once I find this out, my friend, I'll get back and tell you all the details. Okay, yeah, please do, definitely. And um, after you released uh, the first reel, what was the general reception to that film? Oh, it was very, very good. Um, you know, I started doing interviews, like what I'm doing now, and the reviews were very good. Um, you know, I still couldn't... Here's the problem. The reviews were good and all that stuff, but... I don't want to be a cult filmmaker, my friend. I am the new Steven Spielberg. I am the new uh, Orson Welles. I am the new everyone. You can take everyone you want, put them in there, and they should put me as the representation of that. I will. I should have a... Uh, it should say on the Hollywood Hills, instead of Hollywood, it should say, Slasher Victim 666 Land. So... I was happy that everyone loved it, and I got to make another one, and, you know, people would buy copies and all that, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not a little Kenneth Anger, my friends, even though, you know, him and Louis Bunel, they were all true from the Golden House, but I will be bigger. I will take what they taught me and become even greater than them all. So I was happy as a good start. But by the time we get to, you know, rule three, rule four, five, I hope uh, it should be at number one at the box office for at least 25 years. And I should be number one star on IMDb for at least maybe 200 years. And uh, that's when I will be happy when, when that moment happens. And, you know, uh, Tom Cruise or, uh, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal, they will just be, you know, forgotten. They, they, were, they will be star maybe uh, 76 or 112 because I will be number one, but then we also have my uncle, Dr. Dave. He's got to be like maybe number three. Uh, my dad, Doug, he's got to be number two. Bransby, maybe number seven. Actually, Bransby, let's put him at number, let's put him at number 70, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll put him at 70. So, um, you know, Nicole Kidman, she can become 480 or something. So until that moment, uh, we will not be complete. Uh, me, 
and my old family and all my new family and all my friends, and include you too, Brandon. We will all live on the Hollywood Hills together, and only then will the game be complete and the Golden House will be one with all. Awesome. And um, I recently watched a Reel 2, and I watched it again before this interview, and I noticed that compared to the first reel, it kept a little bit more of a faster pace. And if I'm remembering this correctly, um, I can't remember who quoted it in reel. There's something among the lines of talking of found footage movies and how it usually has a bang finale ending. And while they both have, you know, really good on really bang endings, um, I was wondering if uh, you decided um, to switch the pacing to make it less of a slow burn uh, on the second one. Yes. One thing I'm never going to do, my friend, is repeat myself. You know, if, like I said, I consider me making documentaries, but let's talk horror for a second, okay? I know, I know this is a very respectable horror podcast, so, and I know movies about everything. That's all I did in the red room was watch movies. So I know them all. Um, this, I am not Freddy Krueger. I am not Jason Voorhees. I am the new boogeyman. So, when you watch Friday the 13th 3, you might as well have watched Friday the 13th 7, or Friday the 13th whatever. It doesn't matter, my friend. Once Jason has the mask, in part 3, the whole story is over. And the pace is always the same, the movies are always the same, and you know what you're going to expect. This will not be the real series, my friend. Each real movie will be different. Because I'm finally in the world now. I'm learning. I'm learning much, much every day. So with Room 2, it was a different pace. Uh, the first one, uh, yes, a little bit. I wanted to tell more about Todd and he, him being a representation of me. But with Part 2, I really wanted to embrace the, one of the old keepers of the Golden House, Kenneth Anger. And I really wanted to embrace his Scorpio rising and Lucifer rising. Uh, and I wanted to bring in that element and uh, make it a little faster. But by the time we're on real three and real four, things will change again. I might be John McClane uh, in a skyscraper trying to take out terrorists and making them all stars. I'm a growing boy. So don't ever pigeonhole me, Hollywood. If you try to keep me in one box, it will not happen. I will I will make Rule 20 even more masterful than Rule 2. And I will make it all, it will all be magical. And all the friends and all my family will never get bored of my movies. They will never say, or this one was just like this one, or this one was like this one. And, you know, with Freddy, well, welcome to Prime Time, bitch. You know, it, it was the very end of it get, becoming good. And then it just started to get bad and repeat itself. That's why those are old boogeymen. Old boogeymen we can forget now. They did their job, but me and my family run things now. Awesome, and how has the general reception to uh, Real 2 been so far? Well, it's, it's just coming up. We slow roll things here, too. That's the other thing. You know, Hollywood nowadays, 
everything is about opening box office, and then the movie fades right after. Well, that's not how I remember things, my friends, when I read about all of the movies and watch them all. I want the movie to live forever. So, you know, if we stick with horror again, let's say the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That went on for years and years and years and years and years at the theater until maybe it reached its peak in maybe 1995 or 1996. It kept growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. Your reputation, that's how real will work. I'm not interested in releasing and then forgetting about it. That's why I still promote the first reel. Even though it's a few years old, it will still be promoted forever. So um, the the release of reel two, we're only a month in, which in Hollywood terms, it's... It might as well be already forgotten and people can spit on it and kick on it and, uh, you know, all that fun stuff. But not with real, my friends. With real, too, each month will grow and grow and grow and grow. But so far, I've had great reviews. You know, uh, my friend Mr. George says I am the future of Hollywood and reinventing horror movies forever, and, uh, you know, all those fun things, which I love to hear, but uh, until, again, we're on the top of the Hollywood Hills, I won't feel as complete. So, I would say we're to reception amazing, but um, were you, my friend, on my first interview for Real 2? So, we're just starting this journey. We are just starting. Many more things to come, and I have much, much more secret things to show you and to keep the promotion of it very exciting and very fresh. Awesome. Yeah, I can't wait for uh, future stuff. And um, I was also wondering, I have just a couple more questions here, and um, are there any faux snuff films that kind of inspired Real? And if so, which ones? Yes, um... Like I say, my grandma's film, Boy Burning, from the 50s, was a big one. Um, my dad's one, um, you know, Twins Crying for Their Arms, was another one. Um, Bransby shot one only a couple of years ago. You know, he's one of the newer people who, even though he's been around for decades now, he's still one of the newer people. And he shot one, uh, you know, House on Fire. Uh, that was a good one. Um, there were lots of, lots of people running out of the house there. Um, let me think what other ones were good. Um, well, there was one time when, again, Brother James, rest in peace, when he had the VHS camcorder strapped to him, he accidentally ran out into the road, you know, because we're most of the time in the woods in Bradbury. I'm not in now. I'm in, a, I'm in someone's house we've been in for a couple of years. But... Uh, Basically, when we were in the woods, Brother James runs in the road, a car hit him, right? They would come over to check out on him, and Brother James, who's so upset, and they're wondering why he has a camcorder duct tape to his stomach. And But luckily, they're like, okay, are you all right, Brother 
James? <laughs> Are you all right? And Brother James pulled out a hammer and started to smash the man. And then he showed up a few hours later at our campsite. Where's the guy's truck? He just drove it through the forest. And, you know, the guy's head was on the antenna. Well, it was kind of on the antenna. He had to make this sort of makeshift kind of pole, you know, with some wood and some sticks so it would stay positioned. But he filmed all that, and now that was a good one, you know. My brother, I mean, I would be lying if I said, you know, just get a little upset thinking about him. If when he went, everything didn't change, because, you know, as much as they would lock me in the red room, Brother James always tried to, tried to help me as best he could, and, you know, when he left, everything wasn't the same, so... I, I really like that one. I really like the, I guess you would call that one uh, head-on antenna after getting hit by a car. Okay, awesome. And for people who are just now hearing about you and hearing about your stuff, where can they find your stuff at if they want to purchase stuff? Yeah. Well, one of my best friends in the whole world is Mr. Bloodfiend, and uh, he does all the... He does all of our, our shipping and all of our products. He makes DVDs and T-shirts and, you know, VHSs. He does all that. So you can buy everything from Bloodfiend at Real Store, R-E-E-L, Store, S-T-O-R-E, dot net. See, I'm, I'm just, spelling is a new thing for me too, my friend. I've only known that for a few years. So I like to brag about it every chance I get. And uh, so he released all of my stuff, which you can get there. And there's even a special right now. If you buy anything at the store, you get to stream Rule 2 for free. But also, even though the site is called realstore.net, it isn't just a store, my friends. This is our home where you can watch Rule, my debut masterpiece, for free. Anytime you want, you just click on the little link that says real, and you can watch it. And then you can also, uh, if you want to do that, you could afterwards, you watch my sensational sequel, Real 2. And then you can give me some donation money for Real 3. And if once Real 4 and 5 and 6 all come, that's basically our home. Until we're on the Hollywood Hills and I can take Grass Killer and actually write you know, all of the notes on the hill so all of Los Angeles can see it. Until that day, realstore.net is the place you want to visit every day and see all the stuff we're working on. Awesome. And uh, that's all I got for you today, but definitely uh, keep me in the loop. I'll be keeping an eye on you and on your stuff. And uh, I just want to say thank you again for coming on and talking to me. Oh, no problem, Brandon. It's great talking to you, too. You keep doing what you're doing by showing the world the greatest artists in the world, like me. All right, man, I will do. Well, we'll keep in touch, okay? I hope uh, your family and friends stay safe during these crazy times, and um, I'm sure we'll talk sometime later. Thank you, my friend. Great talking to you. You as well. Thank you.